is that, that maybe we don't realize as a church that we have an incredible family team that's taking care of our students and taking care of our kids every single week. Um, that it's not just we come in here and we worship and we sing, which is great, but, uh, but the students are K-5 through five are dismissed. There's volunteers with the preschool students right now. Um, after every gathering, the high school students and middle school students get together in their miniature DNAs to discuss the sermon and what's going on. Um, so one of the things that we're going to start trying to do is to pray for them more regularly, include them into more things that we do. Um, so if you're a college student, if you're a young adult, if, what, it doesn't matter. If you're in here right now, um, man, those students need you. Those kids need you. They, they look up to you whether you realize it or not. Everything you do. My kids will come home every gathering and talk about so-and-so did this or this guy with this funny looking face did this. And I'm like, well, that's not nice, but okay. Uh, I know who you're talking about, the guy with the funny looking face. I'm not going to say it, but um, Dylan does some crazy things. So um, we, they look up to you. They love you. They respect you. And so, man, as we start this gathering, can we stop and pray for them for a second? And just that they would um, come closer to knowing the Lord as their Savior and grow in their knowledge of Him. Sound good? Cool. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for this gathering. Thank you for this environment that we can just come and, and worship you and sing to you and have the freedom to do that. And that we can learn and grow from your Word, Father. But we know it's not just what's happening in here. Um, but Father, there are faithful men and women teaching our children uh, in the next few moments as well. So we want to pray for them. God, we pray that uh, you would save them. We're pleading with you that you would uh, lead them to the knowledge of you and your gospel and your truth. So thank you for all the leadership that we have back there. Thank you for the, all the volunteers that, that sacrifice being in this gathering space so they can serve and love and encourage the kids. Thank you for all the high school students and middle school students that are here in this room right now. Father, we pray that, that through us, through the discipleship that takes place as the church, they would come to a deeper relationship with you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, flip with me to Joshua 7. If you're new here, we're going to be going through the book of Joshua for the next four or five weeks, and then we'll stop because Christmas is coming. I don't know if you realize that, but like... We're close to Christmas. Um, so we'll stop and go through an Advent time, and then we'll pick up some more Old Testament books in the spring. Um, but we've been working our way through Joshua. And so as I'm preparing about Joshua, but then also as I'm raising four kids along with my wife, I had this thought because I, as I was studying Scripture, um, this image kept coming to my mind this week of becoming a dad. Now, I've talked to a lot of you guys about what it looks like to be a dad, and you're excited about those memories. And, and when my wife and I were planning on starting trying to have kids, uh, what was going through her mind was, oh, the cuddle sessions that we get to have, right? Like, I, my son's going to come up and kiss me on the cheek, and it's going to be great. Or, or the first day of school pictures, or all the sweet moments that happened. But I'm going to let you into a little bit of my mind. Um, I was watching YouTube videos of kids failing, and was going, I cannot wait till my kid eats it hard on asphalt. That's what I want to do. Like, uh, where's Matt Marsh? So Matt Marsh, if you don't know, ate it hard last week on a longboard. That's what I want, right? Like, I want my kids to eat it hard and hop up. And so uh, here, when I was gravitating towards, before having kids watching YouTube, here's the most infamous clip that I would constantly watch. Just confession, if you judge me, God will get you for that, right? Um, <laughs> The, the, the videos of like kids, they're riding their bike their first time they get up and they get like wobbly and they stable it out, stabilize out. And then it always happens without a shadow of a doubt. They either look back to their parents, they look to the left or to the right, they like get excited and then bam, hit a mailbox. I'm like, yes, that's what I want. I cannot wait for those memories to happen where my kids just eat it riding their bike. But three out of our four kids ride bikes and that never happened. Literally, what was it last summer? Um, we, Bree yelled for me to come outside. I walked out and Emmy had gotten a bike and just started riding it. And so my wife was like, isn't this great? And I'm like, no, there's no fail videos happening. This is not great. But why do I say all this? As I was studying Joshua 7, we're going to get here. I think what's happened to a lot of us is, is we are the kid on the bike, right? That, that we know that God helped us and he taught us how to ride the bike. Um, but a lot of us are in this season right now where we're starting to figure out how to pedal on our own, balance on our own. And maybe some of us have already experienced that first wreck that hit hard. Some of you haven't figured it out yet, but there's a thing called sin that we're going to see littered all through Joshua 7 um, that is going to cause us to wreck our bike if we don't stop and examine what sin is, who God is, and the fact that we cannot ride our bike by ourselves. We are not designed to do Christianity, to do this life 
on our own. It's not some, let's get good enough to where I can balance myself out, and then I'm good. But most of us walk in that arena, and as we'll see with heaven, we're not alone in that. So we're going to pick it up actually at the end of verse 6. Um, so we taught this at House Church last week. Uh, if you weren't there for that, uh, you missed it. It was incredible. Uh, but we will definitely do that again sometime soon. We're going to pick it up at the end of verse, or chapter 6, verse 27. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. So last week what we covered was the walls of Jericho came falling down. They'd marched around it for seven days, day seven. The walls fell down. They went in, took everything, destroyed everyone. Massive victory in the eyes of all that were watching, especially for the Israelites. They had seen God be faithful. They had seen him show up. And a lot of us are probably in that time where we've seen God show up. We trust him. We believe in him. We know that he's got a plan for us. But the moment that we get the first victory, what happens? The moment we start seeing some results in our Christian life, what starts to happen? We're that guy on the bike that our dependence stops focusing on God and what he's done for us. And slowly but surely our focus becomes, well, maybe I did that. Well, maybe I had a part to play in that. Well, maybe that was actually me. Hey, guys, get that other mic. Got to get that other mic because this is not going to work. Um, so, so maybe it was actually me in that victory. Maybe that was mine to have. God wasn't actually there. That had something to do with me. And the, the, the subtleness of that is what we see. So the, in verse 27, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was in the land. It was his fame. Slowly but surely, the Israelites were starting to take credit for the victory that wasn't actually theirs. So let's go to verse, or chapter 7, verse 1. But, so we see the change start to happen. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, and the son of Zerah, the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. So here in chapter 7, we meet the main character that we're going to see over and over this chapter <clears throat> named Achan. And we see straight out of the gate that he broke faith and regarded to the devoted things. So I think you should be on the same page. Just go back to chapter 6, verse 18, and we'll see what it's talking about. But God was telling them, but you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you may take the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon, upon it. Put all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron and holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So God was very clear with them, when you get this victory, because I'm going to give you this victory, all the spoils of war need to come back to me. Do not take any of the devoted things. And if you do, destruction is going to come for all of Israel. It's not just you, all of Israel. So we meet this guy, Achan, who didn't do that. So I know it's like, oh man, it's Sunday morning, like let's go to church and let's get a chipper message and yay, go Jesus. And we're talking about sin right? Who, who actually wants to be here for this? But, but there's two things. One, Joshua 7 addresses sin. If we teach faithfully through the Bible, which we try our best to, sin comes up to it. And the second thing that we see is, we, I just don't think we understand the weight and gravity of sin. I think us in our culture, in our day, do not understand the weight and the gravity of sin, of right and wrong. And we see this everywhere. This is not some political commentary. This is just open our eyes and look at the culture around us. Objective truth is dying. Subjective truth is growing. Truth is what you say it is. So how can it be a sin for me when it makes me feel good, when it feels right? So I'm going to keep doing this because sin is what I say it is. Truth is what I say it is. And we start to rub that into the face of a holy God that's going to lead to destruction. And when we start to, start to understand the weight of sin, then we start to understand the gloriness of who God is. Because I think all of our lack of understanding of sin is rooted in the lack of who God actually is. If we had a correct and understanding of the bigness and the powerfulness of our God, would our sin be these insignificant issues? If Achan had a true understanding of the glory of God, would he have committed that sin? But we all just, if we're honest, think that God is something over to the side. We'll read our Bible, we'll talk to him when we want to, but, but this bigness of God just is lost on us. 
And this is where all the trouble begins. It wasn't in Achan's heart. It was his lack of view of the bigness of God. So, so here's what we have to do before we get too far into this. We have to understand just real quickly, who is God? How big is God? How powerful is God? And what is God's ultimate aim about? Because what we start to think is that God is ultimately about me. I sung that growing up. I, I understood that in church. That's why I come to church, not because I want to learn about God, because how it makes me feel that's who God is. But first and foremost, we have to understand that God is for God. God is for God's glory. God is for God's fame. God is for God's renown. God is not ultimately and foremost for us. And this is where theology starts to get really sideways. Because if we think God is about me and my happiness, then doesn't that make God an idolater? Doesn't that make God's affection, his purpose, not himself and the glory of himself, but it makes it me? And if God's going to stick to his commands that you should have no other God before me, then why do we think that it's okay for God's God to be us and not himself. Oh, but that makes God selfish. Like, how could he not? Oh, he loves you deeply, church, and we're about to see this. But his first and foremost is not us. It's him, lest he would become an idolater, lest we would become his gods. But that's how we walk around, like, oh, God's, God's for me. I, I know my Bible, God's for me. Who can be against me? Yes, but he's ultimately for him. Let, let me, maybe you don't believe me. Let me read some passages for us. Um, Psalms 23, 1 through 3. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Now, why does he do all of this? For his name's sake. Psalms 31.3, for you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. Isaiah 48, 9, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you that I may not cut you off. And lastly, Isaiah 48, 11, for my own sake, for my name's sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory, I will not give to one another. So we see this first and foremost, that God is ultimately for God, his glory and his namesake. So Achan's sin was not some small, insignificant sin. He was taking what rightly belonged to God and claiming it as his own. Do we understand the subjectivity of our sin? Church, that when we sin, this isn't some small detail that doesn't really matter or that God should just overlook. But in our process of sinning and walking into something that we know we should not be a part of, what we're doing is robbing God of his glory, his name, his renown by saying, I would rather do this than follow you. But somewhere in between, we've lowered the importance of God and we've raised the importance of ourselves. And so we think sin just is what it is, that it doesn't really require repentance, that it doesn't really matter. It might, not, it might be sin for you, but it's not sin for me. It, just, just get over it. You're taking this too serious, Pastor. All right, let's read on. Joshua 7, let's pick it up in verse 2. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethhaven, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai, and returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for there are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai, and the men killed about thirty-six of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebram and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water." All right, so let's just put this together. Joshua 6, Jericho, walls fell down, mass victory. We've just learned about Achan's sin that he's hid, the devoted things, and then what takes place. Now, this is a little sidebar, but I have to point this out too. Because yet, even though Achan's getting all the credit for this sin and this shame, look at Jericho's leadership. I mean, excuse me, look at Joshua's leadership. Did he actually pray before he sent the spies up? Did the spies coming back mention anything about God, his providence, his protection, his leadership? No, they came back with a little swagger. Oh, there's not that many people up here. Let's just take two, maybe 3,000. We've got this. Don't sweat it. Let's just go up there, win, and then keep on going. So this initial victory of Jericho has totally changed the posture 
of the Israelites from God is salvation, God is leading this, God is in charge of this, to just, oh, I've got this. Listen, church, maybe God isn't giving you what you are praying for, desiring, asking, because you cannot handle that victory. Maybe the things that you've been wrestling with that you want so hard that you've been praying for, God is resistant in answering that prayer because the moment he does, he knows you're going to turn his back on him and you're going to go do your own thing claiming that was your victory, not his. And we're going to see the response of sin at how it just wells up all these illegitimate thoughts and fears and worries in our heart when the reality is it's just sin, church. Sin is what draws us far from the Father. Sin is what messes everything up. Do we hate sin? But we have to see here from, that was just kind of a little sidebar, uh, from the text we have to understand what's actually happening. The sin of Achan, battle of Ai, 36 men have died. Now here's where we don't really understand most of the time. Do you understand, believe, or actually walk in the truth that your sin has immediate consequences for those around you? See, what we do is we just hide our sin in our heart. Oh no, this is just between me and God. I'm going to confess this on my own time. It's not that big of a deal. Well, Achan was doing the same thing. But because of the destruction that God promised over Israel for their sin, now 36 men have lost their lives. So we start to just internalize and personalize. Oh, this is just between me and God. We're okay. There's no big deal. No, we clearly see through the text that our sin has ramifications for those around us. I mean, let's, Romans 5 says it this way, Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death has spread to all men because all have sinned. So let me ask you, does the sin of Adam and Eve have consequences on us today? Yes. Does the sin as me as a father have consequences on my children today? Yes. I mean, as I was writing this part of the sermon, just the thoughts kept coming through my mind of pastor after pastor after pastor that had secret sin that when it came out, it destroyed the entire church. So if I get caught up in sin, if we don't believe this, that sin doesn't have ramifications for those around us, if I get caught up in a secret sin that comes out, do you not think that it's going to cause damage within this church? If I get caught up in secret sin and I don't tell my wife and I don't tell my kids and it comes out, do you not think that it's going to cause damage to my wife and to my kids? If you think that you can have a secret sin that, you don't, that no one knows about and it's never going to come to the light and cause destruction for those around you, please read your Bible. Because this sin has way more to do with just you. This sin is going to cause destruction and hurt and pain for those around us. The sin has true, honest ramifications. It's not just a personal thing that, oh, it's just between me and Jesus. He knows, brother. Oh, oh trust me, he knows, brother. But it's going to get bad. We have to understand that true sin has true ramifications. So let's keep going. Verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads, and Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over to the Jordan at all to give us to the hands of the Amorites and to destroy us? Would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O oh Lord, what can I say when the Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all of the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut us off from our name on earth. And what will you do for your great name? So Joshua, that was so confident, that was leading so well, gets one defeat and what does he naturally start to do? See, he blames God. That our immediate response when sin starts to well up in us, when we see the consequences of sin around us, is to never take examination of our own heart, to never think about what we could have done to lead to this, but we immediately start throwing shade and blame towards God. If God would have been here, this would have happened. God, how could you love me and still let this happen? God, I thought you were supposed to be good and then you still let this happen. And we see this going through Joshua's prayer. I mean, here's literally what he said. Why would you bring us here just to destroy us? We were content where we were. This makes me look bad. Do you not even care? 
Now, if we're real honest with one another, church, have we not said those same things to God? God, do you not even care? Would you really bring me here to leave me here? God, I thought you loved me. How could you? Church, let's just be real with one another. We've prayed those prayers. and We've thought those thoughts. We've had anger and resentment and bitterness towards the Lord. But we've also followed the example of Joshua. That our first question wasn't, is there sin in me, God, that's causing me to not see your purpose and your plan and your redemption for the world? Is there sin in my community that's leading us astray from what you would have us to do? God, you are good and you are big and you are full of love, grace, and mercy. I know you are. So what's happening here, Father? But no, you let one thing happen to us and what do we do? God, how could you? How dare you? How could a loving God do this? You instantly start throwing shade, just as Joshua did, to a loving, holy, merciful God. Now let me put one massive asterisk on this. Not everything, please hear me, not everything that happens in your life is a direct result to sin. Sin is broken, sin is around us, sin is evident everywhere. So we see clearly that 36 soldiers come home or don't come home from this battle in Ai because of the direct result of sin of Achan. So if I'm preaching those funerals for one of those 36 soldiers, I'm not going to say, listen, as a family sitting right here, uh, listen, family, your dad had secret sin that killed him. It's not, it's not what I'm going to say, that we've all gone through death, hurts, brokenness before. And that's just a symptom of sin and brokenness in this world. That not every, it's not a if-then. If I do this, then God blesses me. If I don't, then God smites me. We're not walking in that kind of environment. My point through here in Joshua 7 is that when bad things come in, when sin starts to root, our first response shouldn't be to blame God. Our first response should be repent to God of all the sin that might have led to this decision. Sin is serious, and it must have ramifications, and it must lead to repentance. So let's keep reading. Joshua 7, we're going to pick it up in verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded to them. They have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Verse 12. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their back before their enemies because of the devoted things now that leads to destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Verse 13. Get up. Consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought by your tribes, and the tribe of the Lord shall take a lot, come near by the clans, and the clans that the Lord takes shall come near the households, and the households that the Lord takes shall come man to man. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. Now, a long passage. Let's kind of work through this. The first thing we have to see, and we have to understand this, you read the book of Psalms and you see David throw out some massive offensive things in the face of God. You see Joshua just say, God, don't you even care about your name? Why weren't you here? Why would you bring us here to leave us? How good of a God could you be if this is your plan? Listen, God can hear and he can handle our hard and honest prayers. The fact that God didn't just destroy Israel right there in the spot after Joshua made this blasphemous statements is nothing short of his grace and his mercy. So he can hear us. He can understand our prayers and our hearts behind our prayers. So we see this grace of God start to bring manifest in his life. But verse 12 is what should haunt us of all of Joshua 7. 
that because of your sin, I will be with you no more. Are we, are we tracking with that? And we, we talk about sin all the time. That is just common vernacular within the church, within evangelicalism. Sin is sin, yes, and we understand that like, sin is commission, sin of omission, that, that you shouldn't do what you know you shouldn't, but also you should do what you know you should. So there's different levels of sin, different ideas of sin. And so we just kind of have this common, oh yeah, I know what sin is, I know what sin isn't, and I shouldn't do sin, but like, okay. But verse 12 goes right to the heart of what sin actually is. I will be with you no more because of your sin. Do we understand that that is what sin does? That it creates a chasm that God can no longer be with us. And listen, I, I want you to write that down. I want you to pray over that, think over that, meditate over that this week. Because if that doesn't bother you, if the fact that your sin creates a gap to where God cannot be with you. If that doesn't bother you, if that doesn't sit really heavily on you, then I've got some follow-up questions. The fact that there is something, there is sin in your life that creates a, gas, a chasm, creates a way that God can no longer be with you and you go, eh, am I want to go to Moe's? Eh, like, oh, okay, God can't be with me. Who's playing football this week? Right? If that doesn't create this angst in us, that because of sin, the consequence of sin, is that God can no longer be with me, then I think we have a really immature version of who God is. There's no true love. There's no true affection. If I knew that there was something that I could do that would allow my family to say, because of that, I can no longer be with you, do you think I would walk in that? You think if my wife was standing face to face and said, Gabe, if you continue doing this, I can no longer be with you. I'm going to go, oh, that? Well, let me go do it real quick and see what happens. I hope you have a good day, Bree. If she said to me, Gabe, if you keep doing this, the kids, we're going to have to go away because we can no longer be with you in this sin. And I go, they're just kids. There's no heart. There's no affection. There's no love there. If I can just flippantly say, all right, see ya. But when we understand the weight of our sin, that's what the causality is that God can no longer be with us in our sin. And if we go, okay, then there's no love, there's no affection for the Father that saved you, for the Father that loves you, for the Father that's pursuing you. And we just have to be honest with that. But if there is, if sin has entered your heart, there's two things, instructions that God gives to Joshua. In both of them, he phrases it in the phrase of get up. The first thing he says, get up, the sin is the problem. Joshua, it's not that I don't care about you. It's not that I brought you here to leave you. All those things that you threw at me have zero weight in the accusation. The true reality is what the problem here is that it's sin, and you cannot fight sin laying there. Get up. Put on clothes. Let's go. It's time to wage war against the sin that's destroying you and your people. So get up. We see this happen all too often. Oh, I, woe is me. I can't do anything. God's saying, get up. Let's go. Let's fight the sin. And the second one, the second get up is literally the Hebrew word is go. Get to work dealing with this sin. So what happens when the Father gently and graciously reminds us of the sin that's causing a separation between us and Him? He's saying, get up, this is serious, and let's fight. A famous theologian said that be killing sin or it will be killing you. So we are naive to think that we don't wake up every single day with the battle of sin. There's never going to be a day where you go, oh, I'll sin free today. No temptations, no ramifications. I just killed it. I'm going to get to bed and do it again tomorrow. That every day we wake up, we're waging war. We're literally fighting against our sin. But again, is that on the forefront of our mind? For Joshua, victory was on the forefront of his mind. For Joshua, his fame was on the forefront of his mind. His popularity, his notoriety, everything was on about him. And so, of course, he totally got blindsided by the sin that wrecked all of Israel's plans. So are we fighting? Are we literally getting up and going after our sin day by day? If not, we're going to be devoured. 
So flip down with me to verse 20. As we start to see the truth of Achan's sin. And Achan answered to Joshua, Truly, I've sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people, and they laid them down before the Lord. Now here's where I just want to get super practical because there, there are four words that Achan uses as an own confession that leads us to what happens in sin. If we think that we've got sin covered, that, that it's never going to get us, it's never going to deceive us, we're never going to fall for it, that our sin is not going to create a chasm between us and God, I don't know how to help you. But if you do understand the weight of sin, here's how it happened for Achan. The first thing from his mouth is that he saw the treasures. That he saw it. I don't think that we realize how attacked we are constantly. That we are constantly seeing things with our eyes that are causing us to lust, that are causing us to want, that are causing unsettledness in our own hearts. I mean, just the marketing dollars alone that are spent on you and that thing that you're holding in your hand are astronomical. So we saw this a ton when Dylan last semester taught. Um, <clears throat> as Jesus was getting ready to leave, he kept saying, be on guard, be on watch, look for these things, be ready to fight because they're coming to get you. First Peter 5.8 puts it this way, be sober-minded and be watchful. Another way to say it is be on guard. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So as Christians, if we're going to protect ourselves from sin, if we're going to fight from sin, we have to be overly cautious about the things that we see, the things that we listen to, the counsel that we get, the things that we watch. Now listen, I'm not trying to be this over-legalistic like you only watch G-rated movies. You're going to let's, after church today, we're going to go home, get all your books and all your CDs and all that stuff. Do y'all still even have CDs? Nope, a little old for that one. Um, bring me your phones and we're going to have a good old-fashioned burning in the parking lot. We're just going to bring all the things that call sin to you. We're going to put it right there. Burn it. I'm not trying to sound Lloyd legalist over here. But I'm saying we cannot play with fire and expect not to get burnt eventually. And you know what's leading your heart astray. You know what you see with your eyes is going to cause you to wonder and is cause sin to stir up in you. So we have to take this advice from God. Are we going to get up and stop it? Or are we going to sit around and entertain it? Because sin will not be entertained. It will devour you. So Achan saw this treasure, and then he coveted it. He desired the silver and the gold and the garments more than he desired fellowship with God. And here's what covenant starts to get to the root of. Do you care more about the things in your possessions and your fame than you do the things and possessions and fame of God? Because that's where covetousness enters into our heart. Here's what John Piper says about this. I suspect that the reason the Ten Commandments begin with the commandment, you shall not have no other gods before me, and ends with the commandment, you shall not covet, is that they're essentially the same commandment. They bracket the other eight and reveal their source. Coveting means I want something that I don't have. I've seen it, and now I want it. And listen, church, we live in a day where a lot of times we can go get it. This is tangible for us. It's easy for us to see something that we want and then we have the resources to just go get it. There's no prayerful consideration. There's no thought behind it. And unless you think that, like, I'm just this incredible guy that understands all of it, who watched game four of the Cardinals versus the Braves? Incredible when that, as soon as the game was over, I had StubHub pulled up on my phone. I said, hey, Bree, here's some tickets we can get. Here's how everything's going to cost. Let's do it. Financially irresponsible. I don't know how much you think a pastor gets paid, but it's not enough to go to game five of the series. 
this, uh, this covenant was in me. I want to be there. I have a f- massive case of FOMO sometimes. I want to watch the Braves win. I want to be a part of that victory. Let's do this right now. I saw the victory, and I coveted that experience. Let's go. Praise Jesus. Seriously, sovereignty of God. Phone dies. Okay, let me sleep on it and see what happens tomorrow. It's a Braves game. I'm not going to put my family into a season of debt over a Braves game. So we didn't do it, but I saw it, and I wanted it. Now fast forward, they lost 13 to 1. Whew! <laughs> Missed that one, right? I have wondered if, if I was there, what would have happened, but it's neither here nor there. Favor. Just kidding. But seriously, we see things and then we covet it. We want it. We want that experience now. We want that thing now, not realizing that what we ultimately, what our soul is searching for is God, not things of man. We've got to stop worshiping the created over the creator, as Paul would tell us. So we see Achan says, I saw it, I coveted it, and then I took it. And the, the order here is massively important. The sin actually, the, the physical sin happened thirdly that there were two precursors that led up to the sin of actually taking this church. Do we realize that? That we think it's the whole seatbelt metaphor, that I'll just buckle up in time because I I can protect, if I get in that situation, I'll I'll be fine. But there were two precursors that led Achan into this massive sin, that he saw it and that he coveted against it. Do we realize that what's happening in our soul might lead us to sin in a year from now? What's happening in us might lead us to sin in 10 years from now. It's not right now in this moment that's going to mess you up. It might be five minutes, it might be ten minutes, it might be two hours, two years. But the things that we look at and the thoughts that we have, we're foolish to think that there might not be fruit of those sins later on in life. That he saw it with his eyes, he coveted against it, and then he took it. Now can we just be really honest with one another, church? You, you might not be tracking so far. You might be thinking, oh man, like this isn't for me, this sin, okay, I don't have that problem. The last thing that Achan did was he buried it. He hid it. Not church, individual. What sin are you hiding? Because here's the deal. No one knew what Achan had. It was buried deep underground. His own family might not have known it was there, but he did. And here's the dangerousness of sin. You can hide it well, church. We can hide it well. I could be friends with you for years, decades, and never know the sin that you've buried underneath your heart, thinking no one would ever find it. What have you hid? What sin are you hiding? Because we've all seen. We all have coveted. We've all taken. But we're about to see the destruction of his Achan was not that he saw, coveted, took, but it's because he hid. He thought he was untouchable. He thought no one was going to find him out. In, in the last six months, I've had to deal with the fact of of two close brothers have been walking in secret sin for a long time. And here's what I would plead with you. Your sin will find you out. We've got to quit playing games. And this consequences of the sin that's going to find you out is going to wreak destruction through your family, through your friends, and the sake of the gospel. We cannot think that we can hide sin from an all-knowing God, and he's just going to let it go. Are you kidding me, church? Achan buried it in the sand. Do you think that the one that created the sand doesn't know what's in the sand? Do you think the one that created the heart doesn't know what's in your heart? Your sin will find you out. And even before then, you know as well as I do, it's killing you right now. You're starting to withdraw from relationships around you. 
You're starting to doubt the sincerity of your friendships. You're starting struggling coming to the Word of God because the guilt and the shame is pushing you away from all of that. And Joshua sent his men and said, go, go bury it up and lay it before the Lord. Put his sin on display for the Lord to see. Church, I'm, I'm pleading with you. Quit hiding your sin because there are massive ramifications. Let's see what they are. Verse 24. And Joshua and all of Israel with them took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters to the, and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Acre. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all of Israel threw stones at him, and they burned him with the fire, of stoned him with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Acre. So if sin causes a chasm, it causes a divide between us and God. And if we understand the weight and the height and the power of Almighty God, we know that sin cannot remain unpunished. We understand that if he says he's just, he must be just. If he says he's fair, he must be fair. A loving God cannot just glance over sin. It's easy for us to show grace and mercy. Why? Oh man, I totally understand how you could have done that. Like, like my bad. It's fine. I've done that too before. No big deal. Like just let's, let's not do that again. But, but I've been there. I know how that feels. It's no big deal. God cannot relate to that because there's zero sin in him. And we see the destruction of Achan because of his sin. Do we understand that that's where our sin is leading us? That when God removes his hand from us because of our sin, there's nothing coming our way but destruction? And listen, I'm not, maybe, hopefully you know me well enough, I'm not a gloom and doom, fear monger. This is just Bible. This is theology 101. This is something that we've quoted our entire, if you have any background in church, we've quoted our entire life. But because we are and where we are in redemptive history, we've just glanced over it. Raise your hand if you were ever properly trained in, le- in sharing your faith in Romans 6.23 with something you were taught. Let me see it. If you know the Bible verse Romans 6.23, let me hear it. See it. Sorry. I forgot y'all don't ever respond vocally. So let me see it, not hear it. It, it wouldn't be the worst if, if I got an amen every now and then, but we can cross, cross that bridge later. There's no bitter. Ooh, ooh, I like that. Anyways, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But we just skip over that part, right? So we're sharing our faith. Hey, listen, I need you to know the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in our Christ Jesus, our Lord. We just glance right past that part because of where we are in redemptive history. So we are past Jesus. We've seen Jesus come, be crucified, and raised to a new life. We've seen him walk out of that tomb, walk out of that grave, and we understand the consequences. So we skip over the fact that the wages of sin is death because we haven't seen that with our own eyes. We don't understand that when we sin, we actually deserve death because we live sin on this side of Jesus. But think about the crowd. Think about the Israelites that literally participated in the death of Achan. Think about the fear that had to well up in them. The sin has real consequences. There's truth happening to what God says. that He cannot be any part of sin or evil or else it deserves death. We skip right over the wage of sin is death and we only focus on Jesus. And what we do there is we neuter the weight of sin. We just minimize it. Oh, sin isn't that big of a deal. Jesus loves me. We're going to be fine. Oh, no, church, sin is a big deal. And if we don't understand the weight of our sin, we're never going to understand the glory of Christ. 
we don't understand how our sin causes a loving God to turn to wrath and anger, we're never going to understand what he did. But here's where we are. We know the rest of the story because of where we stand in redemptive history. We know that there was coming a day where Christ was going to be the one that took the death for us. That if we were standing there, if we were standing around the death of Achan, and we were going, man, this, this is a bloody, gruesome scene. What's happening here? We could sing, that we could hold fast to the fact that there is coming a day where someone will take our sin, our punishment, our consequences for us. The second Corinthians that has not been written will be written one day where it says that, that he will give all of his sin to Jesus, that him who knew no sin will be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God, so that we can have a new life, so that we can be redeemed, that the fate of Achan is not going to be our fate because someone stepped in there, that although Achan was buried underneath all these stones, one day Christ will be buried in a tomb, but he will defeat it. Unlike Achan, he will take our place, take our punishment so that we can be redeemed that there is a way where there was no way for Achan, that we live on that side of redemptive history, that we stand on that end of the cross. So we should boast all the more in our sin, all the more in our weaknesses, all the more in our shortcomings, that we, there's no reason for us to hide it because all of those sins, past, present, and future, were nailed to the cross. So what, what are we doing then? Why are we hiding this sin? Why are we pretending like it doesn't exist? Church, our sin has been paid for. Come out of hiding. Oh my gosh, missional communities, DNAs, this should be the most encouraging time for us. When we sing, when we worship, we should sing loudly and proclaim because I was aching. I was heading that way. There was secret sin in me that deserved death. But Christ. But Christ. So when we get together, do we practice what James says? Confess our sins to one another so that we can be healed. Do we rejoice in that? Do we talk about that? We should. Because Christ has saved us. Christ has redeemed us. There, he made a way when there was zero way. Our sin was going to lead us to death. So church, I'm, I'm ending with this. Achan's story is not your story. Achan's death doesn't have to be your death. Christ took that upon himself for us. If we understand the weight of our sin and we place all of our faith that we cannot fix ourselves, only Christ can. So Paul gives some pretty clear instructions about communion. This is a time for us to stop and examine our own hearts, that we should not walk into communion lightly. We should confess our sins. We should walk into sin or communion with no repentant sin in our hearts. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. What sin are you hiding? What sin is leading you to destruction? What sin does God already know about, has already take covered in the blood of Christ, but you have not yet confessed? What sin is secretly destroying you? And before we take communion together, you need to consider, examine, and repent from that. As always, we're going to have elders over there if you want to stop and pray for a moment with us. But we should not take communion without examining our hearts first and confessing our sin first. Because this is an opportunity for us as baptized believers to remember all that Christ has already done for us. That we don't have to hide our sin. We can publicly profess our sin because he is faithful and just to forgive us. So church, let us not be aching that hides this secret sin and it leads us to destruction. But let us confess it so that we can stand under the waterfall of grace as Jesus makes us new. So let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful that although we did not deserve your love, we did not deserve your forgiveness. There's no way that you should have made a way for us. That if the wages of sin is death, that we all deserve death. Because we all seen, coveted, took and hid our sin from one another, and more importantly, from you. 
So Father, this morning, would we confess our sins? Would we stop playing games with you, pretending that we can hide from you? Father, we know that you've already made a way. You've already taken the penalty upon yourself. That there is forgiveness to be had. There's freedom there because of what the cross represents. So let us come out of hiding and run to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us stop playing games with you and stop pretending. Father, let the fear of you drive and dictate our lives, not the fear of man. Who cares what the people around me are going to say? Because we are forgiven. We have been redeemed. And if that's not you, if that's not your story, if if the weight of sin is killing you but you don't know what to do, I'd encourage you to talk to one of us, pray with one of our elders, because there's faith or there's forgiveness through faith that you can be made new, that your sin can be forgiven from the east to the west. But you have to place your faith in Christ alone, not your works, not your efforts. There's nothing you can do to earn God's love or salvation. So as we go into a time of communion, what is that sin that you've been hiding? What is the life situation that you're in right now that that you may have been walking in for a while and you've blamed God and you've argued with God and you've been frustrated with God, but you need to, for the first time, stop and consider what sin of mine has led me here. It's a spirit. I just pray over these next few moments that that you would speak to us. Father, as we sit in silence, as we examine our hearts in light of you and your grace and your mercy, Father, would you speak clearly to us? Would you reveal to us our sin and would you show us your love? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So we'll take